commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Ben All of America's Winter of Weirdness continues here tonight with a very special guest, Paul Bartholomew. I'll give you a little personal background on uh, on Paul in a moment, but, but the general gist of it is Paul's been researching cryptozoology, UFOs, and paranormal phenomena for four decades, uh, and he's appeared in all kinds of documentaries. Uh, I could list them here, but... We want to get right into the conversation, but uh, he's looked at large, unknown, hairy, bipedal creatures sighted throughout the Northeast, particularly in and around his hometown of Whitehall, New York. Um, and what I is it now? This is what I want to ask you, Paul. This is a, I tripped up my own introduction because I want to ask you. Now I call it the Champlain Valley because I heard it was called. I heard it. Call, I heard it called that while I was there. Is, it, is that fair to say, Champlain Valley, or is it some other kind of uh, designation for that general region? No, that that's that's uh, perfectly acceptable. Champlain Valley, the uh, the uh, you know the footholds of the Adirondacks. Uh, the Great Northeast, the North Woods, it goes by all those uh, denominators, the North Country. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and and he's done yeoman's work. Welcome to the show, Paul. I always do this where I ask the guest a question before I welcome to the show because I, I ask a <laughs> question about the intro. Welcome to the show, Paul. It's great to have you on Middle of America. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's good to talk with you. And I told this story last week at the end of the program for, for the folks who missed it. Uh, Paul and I came into contact I this past summer, inspired by my friend Aaron Gullius's trip to a Bigfoot conference in Michigan. It was sort of like the big thaw uh, of the summer where everyone was finally getting out and doing stuff. So I heard about this, uh, uh, what is it, Lake Champlain Monster Festival that was held at the beginning of August up in Port Henry, New York. And I went up there to check it out, and that's where I ran into Paul. He was part of a panel of cryptozoologists. And I'm going to embarrass you here, Paul, because you were by far. This is no slight on anyone else. This is a this is a tip of the cap to you. You were just the friendliest, nicest, most gregarious, well-informed dude. And I could have talked to you. You know, I, I talked. We, we talked for like 25 minutes, and I was like, I could have hung out with Paul Bartholomew all day uh, at, at that at that Lake Henry Festival. That guy was the coolest guy. Um, and 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 Paul was like, Hey, you know, we're having the big Whitehall Sasquatch Calling Festival up. Uh, in Whitehall, or down in Whitehall, I guess, uh, 
you know, the end of September, and I said to myself, well, I, I love this Paul guy. He's awesome. So so I know I'm going to have a good time. And uh, and so and I love this area, uh, this, the Champlain Valley. It's such a nice, nice area. And and so I went to this Whitehall Bigfoot calling festival, and actually Paul hooked me up. He got me a spot as a judge at the Sasquatch Calling Festival, which I, I talked about on Coast to Coast uh, a couple months ago. And and it was just the greatest time. And we'll talk more about the festival in a little bit. But it was just a fantastic time. And he's done an amazing job of of really sort of, uh, I don't want to say cheerleading because that, you know, it, it doesn't do it enough credit, but sort of like really, really spreading the word about this, this region and the strangeness of this region, the high strangeness. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Paul Bartholomew fan. And I knew when we started Winter Weirdness, I wanted to get you on the show right away. So, uh, you know, that, that's my very long, very long introduction. So uh, looking forward to chatting with you tonight, sir. Well, it's very kind. I appreciate it very much. Now, we always start off when we get a first-time guest on the show, the bio, the background, you know, who is Paul Bartholomew? How did you, you know, I said from the bio, you've been doing this for four decades. I guess, what's your origin story? How did you get... How did you get mixed up in all this stuff? Well, there's there's a couple of ways. Uh, we, uh, you know, I can distinctly remember the uh, 1973 UFO flap, and mm-hmm. that was when you had the great encounters like the Coin helicopter case in Ohio and the Pascagoula, Mississippi, uh, you know, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker abduction case, and it was mm-hmm. a very uh, unusual time where the the UFO phenomena seemed to be on a national level, and we had cases up in this area as well. In fact, one we just passed on the anniversary of the uh, 48 years ago, and it was a, a UFO landing took place at the La Cabana restaurant in December of 1973. But uh, uh, to, to go forward, we we you know we were always interested in this, my brother and I. And uh, uh, by 1976, so we were introduced into UFOs and so forth, and by 1976 we had a major Bigfoot outbreak here in Whitehall. And that sort of sparked uh, another interest, not just in UFOs, but in cryptozoology. So now that you're into UFOs and cryptozoology, you start to see patterns and and these phenomena just seem, you, you find them all over the place, whether it's parapsychology or whatever. So I think the roots of this were in that 1973 flap. And then they were, you know, further extenuated with with the uh, uh, 1976 Bigfoot incident that occurred here in Whitehall. And, you know, back then you would think of Bigfoot as being in the Pacific Northwest or being, uh, you know, the Himalayas or something like that. Uh, But you didn't think of it as being in New York State. And yet when we looked into it, there was a huge database of historical information on UFOs and or uh, Bigfoot rather in this region, and uh, they were called wild men and so forth back in the 1800s. And the legends go back to the stone giants of the Algonquin and the Iroquois right up to modern times. So we were just ecstatic that we had uh, Bigfoot reports in, literally in our own backyard here. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, I was thinking about that before we came on the air tonight because uh, what I found really interesting about Whitehall, and I guess to sort of flesh out a little bit more of that story I was kind of telling at the beginning. So, folks, when I was driving up to Port Henry, I see that Whitehall is on the way. And I knew, because I've written about this, actually, ironically enough, Paul, I had written about the statue in front of the uh, stone 
uh, shop there, um, mm-hmm. and I had used your picture. I, I had I had used your picture, so I, I hope <laughs> I hope that's all right with you. Yeah. Yep. Um, this is before we even met. So, um, and I said, okay, this is this town here is like the uh, the Bigfoot capital of New York, and and um, we can get into sort of the actual official designation and everything. But uh, so I'm like, let's stop and look around this place, and it was amazing. There's Bigfoot statues. Throughout the throughout the town, and what what struck me is leaving Whitehall. I think people maybe, and maybe I do this too, but it's like I think maybe people here in New York, and they only think of like New York City or something. Like they That's don't right. really quite grasp just how different New York State is. I went to school in Syracuse, so I know that it's like a bunch of different sort of regions kind of all mixed together, and and the Whitehall area is. As I said, the Champlain Valley is like right on the border of New York. There, like, there's very little difference between Whitehall and the town across the line in New York. It's very sort of, it's all this sort of same uh, regionality, if you will. And and as we were leaving the area, I was sort of driving down the highway, and I'm looking around, and you're just surrounded by these massive, massive tree-covered mountains, and I'm thinking to myself, like. It just like when you first hear it, you're like, wait a minute, why is it some town in New York, like the Bigfoot capital of the state? That's just silly or whatever. You know, people dismiss it. Then you get there, and absolutely, I could, t- I could totally see, I could, I, I, I totally believe that there could be Bigfoot out there in these mountains. There was so much space. There was so much wilderness there. It was, it was breathtaking, and it really dawned on me where I'm like. I'm in. I could be in Bigfoot country right now. Like, I, like a Bigfoot could run across the road at any. Moment. <laughs> that doesn't happen in my town, but but in in and around Whitehall, it's entirely possible. That's absolutely right. Uh, the uh, the state used to advertise uh, the Adirondacks, you know, to come visit the Adirondacks, and they would put uh, five the same size, five different like national parks inside of the area because it's such a large region. And if you remember, a few years ago, we had the uh, prisoner escape up in Danamora. And the prisoners were on the loose for a couple weeks, and then they were eventually captured. One was killed. And uh, what did them in was their own mistakes. Uh, All the technology that we used to try to capture them in this rugged terrain, from helicopters to thermal searches and social media, posters. I can remember hiking in that time period and seeing the posters. Uh, None of that worked. They made mistakes that drew attention to themselves that ended up leading to their capture and, and to their, their, uh, their demise. So, uh, yeah, that region is, is very vast. Uh, uh, the Adirondacks, people that consider this, you know, New York City, uh, it's just the complete opposite. And, you right, know, if you right. look at the whole region within four or 500 miles, we have a microcosm of the entire country. Some of the largest cities in the world, some of the most, you know, uh, urbanized areas, some of the most rural areas. Uh, so we've got sort of a, a good microcosm of the entire country in New York State. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely is misconception smashing when you get up there and in that area. So talk about, I guess, sort of the. I guess we'll start with the '76 event because that'll kind of set. Because you know, people are like, "Wait, get to the Bigfoot stories, right?" <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. so t- tell me the, tell me about this '76, uh, the, the one that no 
pun intended, put Whitehall on the map sort of as the Bigfoot hub of, of New York. What, what's the story here? It's pretty it's pretty legendary uh, in Bigfoot lore, right? Right. The, the incident uh, became a landmark case because there was police involvement. And so uh, basically what happened, it's August 24th, 1976. It's, uh, you know, an, an evening on the rural roads. Uh, this happened to be Abair Road, which is A-B-A-I-R, and it was simply a name. And so mm-hmm. uh, they're on this back road, the Woods Road, which uh, I'm too, you know, I go by there probably uh, a couple of times, maybe three or four times a week, uh, go out and look for tracks and things like that, but sort of patrol that area. And so this is this rural road. And you have three teenagers. Initially, it was two teenagers at first, Paul Goslin and a fellow named Martin Paddock. And they're just school kids, you know, they're they're, uh, in their teens. And they're driving along, and they thought they saw something. And so they went and got another teenager. And they came back to the site. This is Bear Road. You know, it's in the evening hours. And they parked their truck. And then they heard a commotion. They turned the lights on. And there was this creature, and it just happened to be near a telephone pole. Now, there's a story about that telephone pole we'll get into down the road. Uh, mm-hmm. So this creature walks by the telephone pole and is walking. They they screech out of there with, uh, you know, uh, rubber tires leaving tracks of about 30 <laughs> yeah. uh, or 60 feet. I think it was 57 feet when they actually measured it. And back then oh, wow. it was a it was a different time. You would uh, you know no cell phones anything like that. You would go down into town and you would go to the police station, and there would be an overnight dispatcher on duty, always somebody there. And you know the overnight job was great because you'd basically watch TV most of the night, handle a couple calls, pretty easy job. But you know, and, and the the person that was the overnight dispatcher was a fellow named Robert Martell, and I interviewed Bob. And uh, he had a, an interesting uh, story, too, that will coincide with this. But if we stay with the initial case that, that happened, uh, mm-hmm. they ended up sending a, a New York State trooper, a Washington County deputy sheriff, and uh, the Whitehall police were asked to assist and went out to Bear Road to investigate. And what basically happened in this time period of sightings from uh, uh, August 24th, to September 1st, 1976, we had maybe a dozen or more witnesses encounter a creature out and around Bear Road. So oh, wow. some of these people were police. And so what happened is uh, the, the two papers in this region, if you look on the Vermont side, because we're only five miles from the Vermont border, it's the Roman right. Herald is the big paper. If you look on mm-hmm. the New York side, the Post Star out of Glens Falls, New York, is the big paper. So both okay. papers carried this incident. And then the local news, which would be down in Albany, uh, the, uh, uh, Tracy Egan uh, 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 was one of the field reporters back then. She became an anchor for another news network as well. So uh, yeah. pretty big name. She came to Whitehall and was doing a field report, Channel 13. They all came to Whitehall and did a report on this incident because it was so interesting. Well, it turns out that the Post-Star carried an article called Officer's Track Creature, and it talked just about the UFO enc- or the uh, uh, Bigfoot sighting by uh, police officers and, and so forth. And yeah. then the Rutland Herald carried an article which talked about UFOs being sighted at the same time. 
So we ah. had now uh, sort of a furthering of the uh, investigation. We had more things going on than initially thought. But basically, when, when uh, you know, and this has been uh, documented in, uh, uh, you know, uh, documentaries and so forth and shows. Uh, Animal Planet's been up here. Uh, uh, Seth Breedlove did a documentary on Abear. Yep. Uh, so for the, the Beast of White Hall and so forth. And when Seth came up, he actually turned up more witnesses. So after 40 years, we're still uncovering witnesses and peeling away this layer uh, that's, that's going on with this investigation. So initially what looked like just a straightforward Bigfoot outbreak, turns out there was a UFO phenomena going on at the same time. When I researched it, there were sightings that went all the way down to Westchester County. Some of the nuclear sites down there were on alert. There were uh, very credible reports. This was during a major UFO uh, flap, uh, which occurred simultaneous. So now we have the UFO element added into here as well. And when I asked Bob Martell, because I interviewed him at length, he said, you know, I don't remember if it was a week before the A-Bear incident or a week after. But he said within a week of the incident, we got a call on, in Whitehall from a woman. And she said, and, and they knew the woman. They said she was very respectable. And she said, something just landed in my yard. Now, you got to remember, this is a small town. You, you've seen it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the police station and where this woman had the sighting were only like two streets apart. So they get in the car, the, the patrol car, the, the sergeant, and they both went over to the woman's house. When they got there, she said it just took off. She said it was a round object. You know, uh, uh, I, I forget what the, the distance was, 15, 20 feet in diameter. And yeah. she said it, it was round, and then it took off again. And she said it right over there. And when they pointed it, it was a, a matted down area in the field that formed this circle where something had landed. And Bob Martell said, you know, I went over and I reached down to feel the grass that was matted down. And she, he said, I could still feel the heat coming off the ground where something wow. had landed. So we have this landing, and this is the most uh, absurd thing about it, is that it's in a very populated, it's in the uh, avenues of the village. Houses everywhere, and this yeah. thing yet landed right there, and so Weird. It, it's it's a strange place for something like that to happen. If you wanted to land somewhere, you could land it just outside of town. Nobody would have ever seen it. So right, this was right. a very strange case, and it was very similar to what had happened uh, three years before at the Lockabana restaurant on Glen Lake, which is about a half an hour from, uh, from White Hall, where something landed and actually. Uh, that's a separate story, but, but we can get into that after. Uh, but it's a similar type landing case. So over this, yeah. So over this week-long period, we have a, a large amount of sightings of a bipedal creature in Whitehall of strange lights in the sky. Uh, in fact, m most of the counties around here were on a, like almost like a UFO alert where they were taking down sightings, <laughs> and all this was documented in the local papers. And so we also talked with scores of witnesses, and, and of course, Whitehall became the talk of the area because of the the Albany News coming up and doing stories yeah. and field reports right from Whitehall, New York. <laughs> That's incredible. What what? Let me just jump in because what interests what interests me sounds very similar to sort of what was going on in Pennsylvania in '73 uh, that it Stan sure Gordon's does. documented. It sure does, and uh, um, yeah, 
there's no getting around it. It sounded exactly like that, and we didn't know anything about Stan when we were doing our research. So, oh yeah, uh, you I'm know, sure, I, like back then, you barely, yeah, back then it wasn't right. like you go so, online, you were hearing what was going on. So yeah, for sure. We have we have great respect for Stan Gordon and his research. We think it's awesome. And uh, uh, the thing was, we just didn't know about him back then. We knew about people like John Keel and uh, right, right, uh, people like Brad Steiger and Keel and Steiger who talked about the UFO phenomena and a possible connection to uh, the Bigfoot phenomena and hominids and so forth, they talked about that back in the 60s. And it was, you know, really uh, sort of far out back then or seemed that way. It's taken us about 40 years to catch up to where these guys were back in the 60s. And, you know, when you look at uh, research by people like, you know, legendary researchers like, you know, like Stan and, and like Jacques Vallée, and so forth. Even uh, Professor Heineck had talked about other realities, parallel realities yeah. is what he called it, where uh, you know these phenomena may overlap. They noted these things uh, years ago, but you know we have this. Uh, I think it's a natural inclination to put everything in a box. This is the Bigfoot box. This is the UFO box. This is the uh, uh, parapsychology box, and keep right, it right. defined that way. But in reality. It seems like when you talk to UFO witnesses, uh, they may have had a psychic or poltergeist experience as well, and, and there, it seems to be a much more convoluted, uh, hu- common human experience going on here. Yeah, yeah, there's like a tapestry at work here or something like that. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very interesting. So what it what, what really fascinated me too talking to you in Port Henry was, uh, and I I think I'd covered some of these incidents for Coast to Coast, but what interested me was that you hear about, you know, we just heard about this 1976 flap, but there there are recent sightings. There are sightings like within the last few years up in Whitehall, right? Yes, this is a, uh, what, what happened in 76 became landmark because of the police involvement. So mm-hmm. they became a case that everybody would refer back when there was another sighting and so forth. And then as we've progressed, you know, I'm I'm from the uh, archaic days of newspaper clippings and clipping services <laughs> and, and mailing. I can remember mailing uh, information on Bigfoot to China, and they would send research back on their Che Ren oh, wow. or wild man creature. So, I mean, and that was an exhaustive process, and then you had to translate. You know, now it's all instant, and social media is absolutely instant. If there's a sighting tonight, I can post it, and everybody knows about it tomorrow. It might take a researcher back then uh, months to figure out when all these sightings were. So I'm from that day. I've still got clippings and, and, uh, you know, files and things like that as well. So it was a different time period, but, uh, you know, it's a consistent pattern. And what we found is, you know, when you looked at probably the best book on the topic back then, and I think it was two years later it was written, was uh, Sasquatch, the Apes Among Us by John Green. And he cataloged sightings in every state, I think except for Rhode Island back then, and then, of course, that's been filled in since then. But uh, I think New York State was something like 14 sightings or, or something along those lines. Well, we just took that area and expanded it, put it under a micro, you know, a, a magnifying glass, and yeah. we found out that there were scores of sightings. It wasn't just the 14. There's, there's just a, 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 an ample amount of consistent evidence 
from the Algonquin and the Iroquois right up to modern day. And we also had a separate police encounter, uh, which got a little bit of publicity, was was, uh, put on the History Channel, in fact, on their Gigano special. And that was the Dan Gordon encounter. And that Mm -hmm. was uh, when uh, Doug Hijack had put together a couple of documentaries. He did uh, Mysterious uh, Encounters. And he had interviewed uh, um, Dan briefly then. And then they did the recreation for the History Channel Gigano special. And then he was also, uh, you, you know, they, they also came back to New York for a separate episode on their Monster Quest show. So uh, Dan's sighting became famous, but this was a, a guy I went to school with. And he was a very oh, wow. respected police officer, nice guy, bluntly honest. I mean, well, just, what was now? I'm going to jump in here, Paul. I got to take the race yeah. a little bit. What was the, what was if? What, tell me about the sighting. If, <laughs> right, you you right. said it was famous. You piqued my interest. It's a police officer. It's also someone you knew growing up. So yeah. this is multi-layered. I'm very interested. What what happened here? And when was it? You know, Ab- give us the deets. Absolutely, 1982. It's February, and Dan Gordon's on patrol with another. Uh, we had we couldn't even identify Dan as a Whitehall patrolman back then. It took years. He was 22 years anonymous, and we had to stick oh, wow. to that because we're very serious about that. If somebody wants to, you know, uh, give us an anonymous report, we will not use your name. And mm-hmm. it was only until he came forward and used his own name, and he went on some interview shows with me. Uh, but Dan, very respectable, and he's on patrol. And what they would do is about 4:30 in the morning, they would drive out to South Bay, turn around, and come back as part of their routine patrol. You know, we've got a small village here. And so they were driving out there, and they had the most common Bigfoot experience that you can have, and that is a road cross sighting. And they're driving along, and all of a sudden this creature crosses Route 22 on three steps. Now, my brother's uh, 6'1 or so, and... Bob was actually in the recreation that we did, and he played the part of Bigfoot to show, you know, take exaggerated Mm -hmm. steps to get across the road. And we were filming in a side road, or I should say the History Channel was filming in the side road off of Route 22 when they did the recreation. Well, it took my brother about six steps to get across that smaller road. So when you've got a creature crossing a larger road on three steps, it sort of takes it out of that realm of possibility of somebody hoaxing, which would be pretty bizarre at 4.30 in the morning. Um, you know, uh, So right. it really became very highly credible. Now you have two officers. So Dan Gordon's driving. Now he pulls over the car immediately. He gets out, gun drawn, takes and starts to pursue this creature, which quickly eludes him into the, this rugged, uh, woodsy, rocky terrain. And there was actually a footprint that was left behind, but it had been run over by the patrol car when he pulled over. So it was just a, a partial smudge, but it confirmed that yeah. there was something large that had left a, a track there. And, of course, this was February. And they said that the creature was tall and hunched over and very lean. And, of course, in the, the fall months, we seemed to get reports of it being a little bulkier. So that would right. make a lot of sense from uh, from that perspective. But basically, mm-hmm. so Dan had this sighting. The other the, the other officer did too. He stayed in the car. He actually swallowed his tobacco. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> because he was so startled by it. And uh, uh, 
I talked to I had actually both of them brought me back to the site when they were on duty one night and uh they brought me to, and told me the story but these were the rules no notes no you know no notepad no tape recorder nothing like that and they told me exactly so when we got back I had to write down everything I could from memory <laughs> yeah. and it was yeah, yeah. uh you know it was I understood where he was coming from because Dan didn't want to be known as the Bigfoot cop you know, right, he didn't right. want that because there is an automatic, um, you know, ridicule factor put in uh, with this. And if you're a law enforcement official, that could be very damning for your career. But oh, uh, yeah, so definitely. As this goes on, Dan says to me one day, because now the story's out when he uh, Mysterious Encounters comes up and they interviewed him. He said, all right, I'll talk to you, but don't use my name. Well, his face is on there. So the next thing, the History <laughs> Channel, and he says, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. And he did interviews, and they did a recreation. Actually, I was with Dan on uh, the road when they did the recreation. It was very similar to what he described. Uh, the police officer they used looked a lot like Dan. So, I mean, it was very well done. And Dan is sort of, you know, telling him where, where, how things went uh, as it was going on. So it's pretty factual. So Dan and I are walking up this street. He used to be, you know, he was my neighbor. He lived up on on top of the street here. And we're walking up the road one day, and he says, uh, I want to take a polygraph. And I said to Dan, I said, Dan, no, nobody wants you, you know, nobody wants you to take a polygraph. I mean, we all believe you. He says, no, I want to. And so they contacted the History Channel, and they were going to come up to do a New York segment. And so... They got a hold of the polygrapher, the state polygrapher. This is the guy that they would use in, you know, uh, kidnapping cases, murder cases, things like that. And he yeah. interviewed uh, Dan and gave him a polygraph, and he said, yeah, uh, no deception. Of course, we knew that. We knew that. But uh, right. so uh, this is a trouble, a troubling encounter for a skeptic who says that, well, it's imagination. Dan didn't want this to happen. He didn't want to see a, a creature. He didn't think there was anything to it, didn't really care about it. And uh, so this was not somebody who, gee, I want to have an encounter, and I think I did. No, no, this was a life-changing event that he did not want, did not expect, and it really did change his life. For 22 years, he couldn't talk about it. It was a deep secret. And yet this is another police encounter that now has become famous for Whitehall, and it's been featured on several documentaries. So back when uh, Hijack had come up to do the, uh, uh, Doug Hijack had come up to do the Mysterious Encounters show on the Creature of Whitehall, I said, you know, this is the best time ever to try to pass a legislation for this area. And I, I wrote up a legislation that was sort of based on the uh, CHAMP legislation that had been passed in Port Henry, and it was sort of based loosely on Skomania County's ordinance. And so I, I wrote it up, and I proposed it to the village and the town, and they both passed it. So Whitehall became a, uh, um, you know, a, a safe uh, habitat for Sasquatch. And yeah. it was, uh, we wanted to discourage hunting parties, for one thing. And we, we just wanted everybody to stay safe. Yeah, now, no, it's awesome. What had happened I, I, years I'm a big before, fan of that. Go on. Yeah. Well, what had happened years before is I went to Castleman College, and I studied under Dr. Warren Cook, and he had tried to get Bigfoot put on the endangered species list, and he had actually ah. contacted. So we dedicated to this to, to Professor Cook, and it was sort of an extension. 
in honor of the research he had done. Interesting, yeah. Well, what you say about the about Dan's sighting, you can also kind of apply to, as I was thinking about it, with the kids, the, the teenagers who saw the, the Bigfoot um, in the road, where it's like, why – like, I'm sure the first inclination is like, oh, these kids made it up. And it's like, I don't know, man. Like, when I was a teenager, like, the last people you want to be even talking to are the cops. So if That's it, right. I find it you hard know, to believe – that even if they saw a Bigfoot, that like just the fact that they went to the cops to me makes it sound way more believable because I can't imagine why anyone would be be so dumb as to like like you try to avoid the cops when you're a teenager. That's that's sort of the but and when you said oh they brought a state trooper out there and all this other stuff, it's like these kids are you know there's no way they made that's this right. story up because otherwise they'd be sh- shitting their pants when <laughs> when all these absolutely- when all these cops came out. Yeah, that you are absolutely uh, right on right on target there. And uh, they, like all these witnesses, they have everything to lose and nothing to gain by this type of encounter. These are life changing uh, things, and this is always going to be connected to them. And they did not want this to happen. That was, uh, you know, that's another thing. You know, they'll say, "Well, they hoaxed it, whatever." No, they, this is the furthest thing from their minds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I was ta- I, I wrote about a, a sighting that happened down in Australia this uh, for Coast to Coast today, and it was, it was I kind of thought about how it's interesting that these incidents. I mean, some people want become obsessed; they want to see this thing again. Right. Uh, some people hope they never run into it ever again. And either way, it's almost always like a once in a lifetime experience. So to me, it's it's uh, you know I guess I, considering that it seems like a largely physically benign experience. I mean, sure, I would love to see a Bigfoot run across the road as one might a deer or something, um, just to be able to experience that. But it it seems like yeah, these to the people who it happens to, it can be pretty traumatic. But it, it's mo- undoubtedly so, sort of like this once. Once in a lifetime, <laughs> you know, it's that time that I saw Bigfoot. So it's it's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I can tell you right now, Dan. Dan, this was the last thing on his mind was was seeing something like this, and it was a negative experience for several of the police officers. They they didn't appreciate it. Oh, I'm sure. Now let's circle back to what I was talking about with you, because. What I what I was saying that I find interesting, and this kind of even adds another layer to the observation, because you talked about the eighty six the seventy six event, and then I think you said Dan's case was in the early eighties. Um, but but as I said, you've 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 received cases in the last like two or three years, right? Oh yeah, yeah. This is a this is a uh, consistent. Um pattern of of sightings that goes way back right up to modern times now we just put a book out called the mysterious north woods and i think that i mean i could look at the last entry was uh for a bigfoot sighting in this area that the last one that we put on for that book was january 5th 2020 and that was uh not far from uh the country club where uh, cliff sparks had had his encounter back in 1975 a year before the abear road incident so, yeah, this is a very consistent pattern of sightings, 
and uh, you know it's it becomes convoluted. For instance, that uh, UFO landing, you wouldn't expect that, and yet mm-hmm. highly credible. The police officers telling me about it, and they they confirmed it. And the the woman actually confirmed it, but didn't want to talk about it. And I fully understand that as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you say what would you say the pattern is? Just that the, that they are, are in the area, or, or have you been able to discern any sort of like? Okay, you're more likely. Earlier said like, yeah, we we get reports in the fall. They're they're not they're not as lean, probably because they need to bulk right. up for the winter time. I assume it, that seems to be the logical uh, reasoning. So, but but I mean, have you noticed? Have you noticed particular patterns in the different sightings that you've come across over the years? Like, are there a certain time of year? Do they, do they yes. you know, appear in a certain way or a certain type of location or a time of day or anything like that? Yeah, uh, we've got a pretty good database of uh, sightings now for, you know, decades. And while there's, you know, you could have a, an encounter with a creature any month, uh, you know, January through right. December of any year. That That's no problem. But if you want to highlight what your best chance of seeing a creature would be, it is August, September, and October. The fall months seem to be the hot spot times in this area. Now that doesn't. But Dan's Gordon was, you know, Dan Gordon's sighting was in February, and that was a right. great sighting. But uh, yeah, the, the, if you your best chances are seeing one of these in August, September, and October. And, uh, you know, whether that's a migration pattern, and uh, I, I tend to think that there's probably things going on here that we just aren't fully aware of, that there's some sort of connectivity between various phenomena and that it's much more convoluted than a migration route. But, uh, you know, some people might theorize in a migration route. And that's, you know, certainly uh, that's fair game. Yeah, I've, I've, I've rolled that idea around in my mind quite a bit the uh the migration theory um but you'd have to really one would think that that would be able to be picked up by now over the years you know what i'm saying like yeah. one would think that you'd be able to put together a sort of vague um you know uh route just based if, if if I don't know maybe if someone ran it through some like artificial intelligence computer system a huge database you might be able to sort of glean something like that but one would think if it was uh, so dramatic we would know it but uh, you know we, we would be able to pick it up right away so yeah like you're saying there seems to be maybe another element at work here that we're not fully fully aware of have you no I guess go ahead go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was going to say, and, and I mean, what goes to the heart of the matter is we should have a body. After right. this many sightings, we should have a body and we don't. And, you know, there's, some people say, well, there's, uh, you know, bones have been caught. And stuff. Yeah, but we don't have the proof positive body with the catamount, which isn't supposed to be around here anymore. It's supposed to have been, you know, hunted to extinction back in the, I think it was the early uh, 1900s, uh, but we're, we have sightings of catamounts all the time, including black pa- uh, panthers, black catamounts in this region, and yet they're not yeah. supposed to be here. But uh, that's a little different. We've also got a body, uh, a couple of cases that the bodies have turned up and so forth, uh, and you confirm they are they are catamounts, and they'll say, well, they're not here, but they're passing through. Okay, splitting <laughs> right. hairs on that situation. 
Uh, with the Bigfoot, we do not have the actual body. And until we have it, uh, there's always going to be, uh, you know, a controversy. Uh, that's the only thing that's going to solve this. You can have pictures. You can have pretty good, uh, you know, quality audio, uh, credible witnesses, as credible as you can get, you know, police and, and rangers and so forth who know their stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and yet that's never going to solve it unless you have a body, and we don't. And that's troubling to me because logically – I think we should have one by now. And right, right. So I'm right. inclined to think there's a lot more going on here. And then you start researching into these other sightings, like A Bear and 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 like uh, Stan Gordon's sightings, uh, you know, Berserker sightings and so forth. Uh, this is pretty interesting stuff because it appears there's a convolution. Uh, uh, the, it's more of a convol. It's more like an onion than it is an apple. And you start peeling away those layers, and there's more layers and more layers and more questions. Right, right. And we did not expect a UFO landing to happen during the Bear Road sighting. Right. Bigfoot, I, I I have a certain affinity for Bigfoot. I kind of cut my teeth on UFOs, but my first love was always, always, always Bigfoot. And, uh, yeah, I've, it, it's very much... It, 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 it's, it is very convoluted. And, like, it's, it, you think... When you first, you know, when you're first growing up or whatever, when you first kind of get into it, it's like you think it's pretty cut and dry. But then the more you hear these stories, the more complex it gets, and it's like it gets shockingly complex for what you thought was, you know, a remnant ape running around in the woods. It's like it may not. There's a lot of there's, there's a lot of uh, interesting thought behind the whole supernatural Bigfoot element. Uh, aspect it, of it all, so it's interesting. Well, I, I'll throw you an, another uh, another problem. Uh, when we had the Cliff Sparks sighting, which was he was the owner of the Skeen Valley Country Club, located right on you know right outside of Whitehall, and it mm -hmm. was a beautiful. Back then, it was a beautiful. It's an eighteen hole course now. Back then, I think it was nine holes, and it borders on the school. It's just a beautiful course. And it's 11 o'clock at night in May of 1975, a year before Hebert. And Cliff is driving his cart out to green number one, which has a clump of woods. And there's kind of like a, a woodsy, hedgy area leading up to that. Uh, now it's kind of a, 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 a fence, a fenced-in, a wire fence. But uh, back then, it was a little woodsier. And there were less... Uh, uh, residences around it was a little more rural and cliff gets out there at he's got his dog and his cart with him and he drives out and usually the dog would hop off the cart and run around and then get back in the cart with him and he'd go to the next green and turn off the hoses and so forth well he gets out mm -hmm. to green one and the creature this is a creature seven to eight feet tall he said it moved sloth like he said it was on the middle of the green and it was staring at him as he got to the to the green with the cart. So he's literally only a few feet away from this creature staring at him. And he said that the creature, instead of staring directly at him, was staring at the dog that was oh, usually weird. rambunctious and would jump out of the cart and stuff. He subdued yeah. right over the cart. So Cliff had a look at this creature that very few people have had at extremely close range. And he yeah. said that the eyes, it was different. He said it was not reflective. It was not um, uh, um, eye shine 
that people would see from, from various animals. He said this was almost like laser-like, and he said it was like short – this is exactly what he said. It was like short dots coming out pointed at that dog, and he was watching these red glowing eyes, uh, almost laser-like looking at the dog, and the dog acting completely different than it normally did. And then the creature turned, and he said it moved sloth-like through the bush. Brush. It didn't, like, you know, maneuver its way. It just went right through the brush and was gone. So he had this encounter. He didn't know what to do with it, and it was a year before A-Bear. And we got this report because we knew Cliff. Cliff was a farmer, and my dad was a farmer, and Cliff had several daughters that were at school, and they were friends with, uh, you know, I had four sisters. They went to school. So they, they were good friends. And, uh, you know, my, my parents would stop off at the country club and talk with them uh, at times. So we knew Cliff. Mm-hmm. So we know right away that this is uh, a real deal. This is a real story. There's no hoaxing. Yeah. There's nothing going on here. It ended up becoming the emblem for the country club. But that was like 20 <laughs> years later. You know, that was much <laughs> further down the road. They embraced it. They learned, you know, why not just embrace it? Everybody knows the story now. And, and Cliff told his story several times to, to anybody we went out there. He was awesome uh, with, with reporters and stuff. And anybody that ever talked with Cliff, there's no question about his sincerity. He saw something. He's not sure what it was. He had a rare glimpse at whatever this vision that this creature has or these creatures have in that it seemed very paranormal as opposed to normal. And I, I've been at different conferences, and, and researchers would, would sort of, you know, uh, go right after me with, well, that's just eye shine. I've got an interview with Cliff where he says, I know what eye shine is. He says, this was different. He says, yeah. this wasn't eye shine or anything, like when you hit it with a light or something. And he says, there was no light. And he said, this was red glowing eyes. Very strange, yeah. Well, I, I theorize, too, that, like, uh, there's a lot of sort of speculation that, like, whatever, let's call it the other, right, This, it, you know, whatever it is behind this stuff, the, the paranormal, if you will, um, you know, that it can manifest in different forms. So it, 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 right. it, I think people kind of get tripped up mentally where it's like, look, it, it doesn't, one or the other, it, it's not, you know, it, ha- it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, it could, there could be a flesh and blood creature roaming around, and then there could also be this other that's more, that, that can manifest as it, much like it would come out, appear as a dog, or like up in the, you know, up in the, up in the, up in the, well, where is it, um... You know, like the, the dog man sightings and stuff like that, right. where it's like right. it shouldn't physically be possible. Like, like a dog can't <laughs> physically walk on two feet. So, what could possibly be that? Some kind of like supernatural thing, maybe manifesting as that form. And so, to me, it's like there's no reason why there can't be a flesh and blood Bigfoot and also uh, some kind of supernatural representation of it. Just as there right. might be like a supernatural moose or a supernatural dog or a cat or something like that, there seems to be a paranormal element that has largely been ignored by some. And I think the the you see when we investigate a report, we go in without preconceived notion. We take down the information as straightforward as possible, uh, dates, times, everything we can get. As accurately as possible, and if you mention something, we're going to put it down. We're not going to say, "Well, we'll forget that. We'll sift that out." Right. I think that's a mistake some researchers make 
is they go into an encounter expecting to find this, that, or the other thing, and if they don't, then they sort of ignore it and go on to the next thing. You have to just sort of take it on, whatever it is, all the details as much as possible, even if it seems unusual. For instance, uh, no fan of, you know, some people would be no fans of mine for mentioning the red glowing eyes. And yet this is a report that we go back into some of the old research, the old uh, traditional encounters, and they use this vernacular. They would say something like, uh, its eyes were like burning embers. In other words, they're describing this red color the same way Cliff is describing it now, but in the old vernacular. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's important we just document, document, document as accurately as possible, and perhaps these patterns will start to emerge. Because as of right now, after 40-plus years, uh, I would say that what we're experiencing is, first of all, a common human experience. It's global. This this creature knows no borders, the creature phenomena, just like UFOs and so forth. And that these appear to be, the same way John Keel was onto this, the same way Brad Steiger was onto this, these appear to be different manifestations from the same source phenomena. And now, thank God we've got people like Brad, uh, like uh, uh, George Knapp, who has studied the Skinwalker in a yeah. ranch in Utah, and has documented because this is a you know Peabody Award-winning, top-notch journalist. Uh, you know, he's probably UFO's best friend, I would say. Oh, uh, for sure. Because uh, this is instant credibility. And if you ever talk with George, obviously you have. Uh, uh, George is just a, a great, straightforward, you know, researcher, and he finds this phenomena to be fascinating as well as very credible. And some of the work he's done, I mean, with the the interviews about the Pentagon study and so forth, this is fascinating. Oh yeah, he's stuff. been right on the he's been right at the forefront of uh, all the all the stuff that's been happening in the last few years. Yeah, he's been doing tremendous work. It's it's uh, it's it's. It's amazing to watch what the last few years have been like. It's very uh, unlike anything I remember in my time in UFOs. Yeah, I, I, I wish uh-huh. I wish people like Dr. Hynek and uh, you know even uh, you know Stanton Friedman. We lost him you know fairly recently, but I, uh, yeah, I, I was wish, just thinking uh, about Brad, Stan today. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish Brad Steiger, John Keel could have all seen this develop and see where we're at now with this because now we're at a different stage in this completely. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah, I was buddies with uh, Jim Mars too, and it was kind of like, I, mm. I, I, you wish that those guys were around now because their insights into all this would be would be invaluable. Um, yeah, you know, there's not too many, there's not too many of those old timer legends, uh, you know, still around. God bless him, Lauren Coleman though. He's still hanging in there, so we still got Lauren uh, to help oh, guide yeah. the way, but. Love Lauren. He's 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 the go-to guy for for anything along cryptozoology. Absolutely, absolutely. He's a good friend. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating. So you passed the legislation. Now this is this was to protect the Bigfoot in Whitehall. Did you then? It, uh, then it became the official creature of the of the town, right? Like a couple, yeah. two or three years ago. Is it a different thing? That's that's right. Uh, what had happened is, is back when we had those documentaries going, I said, this will be a good time to try to pass this legislation. And we passed it. Okay. It was pretty easy. It's a no-brainer, you know. Uh, uh, 
it helps Whitehall, it helps promote Whitehall, but it works on various levels. It dedicate, it, you know, it acknowledges the work Dr. Cook did. It acknowledges the Abenaki, the uh, uh, Algonquin, and the Iroquois legends of stone giants and giant men of the mountains and the uh, Wendigos and so forth. It acknowledges all that traditional history. It gives rep, you know. It gives uh, credibility to sightings like Dan Gordon's and, and the A-Bear sighting and so forth. So this, is, uh, this was a positive. And uh, then what happened is years later, uh, there was a fellow named uh, uh, Molinar. And Dave Molinar saw that there was a mosquito calling contest at some small town somewhere. And people would come all around and they would give mosquito calls. And the light bulb went off because uh, Bigfoot had sort of been adopted by this area. And uh, so he said, how about if we have a Bigfoot calling contest? And so Barbara Spore became the uh, person to put this together. Dave did a, a couple years of it, and then Barbara Spore has taken it over and has uh, run this festival. So it helped put Whitehall in the limelight for the, the calling festival, but it also shows what, uh, you know, that we have a legislation, that we take it seriously, that you shouldn't be, uh, you know, ashamed if you've had a sighting, you know. That, that yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you guys, yeah, that was so, so, that was the refreshing part of, like, being in Whitehall. It was sort of like, um, I've never been to Roswell, but I assume it's sort of like that on steroids. Uh, but but Whitehall had a, wasn't so commercial, it was very quaint, Um that it's like you kind of step into this little sort of twilight zone where it's like there's Bigfoot statues all over the place. And, and when I went to the festival, uh, which we can talk a little bit more about later on, but, uh, you know, when I went to the festival, it was like, it was just, this is a Bigfoot festival. You know, there wasn't anything to be embarrassed about. It was like, it was like, a, it was a celebration of Bigfoot. It was like, <laughs> it's like, holy shit, this is, this is awesome. This is so, <laughs> this is so cool. This is a celebration of Bigfoot and, and this town's, you know, uh, place in, in sort of Bigfoot history and how it's a hotspot for Bigfoot sightings. So, and I'm, you know, the, the funny thing is, is like, all, all you guys up there in Whitehall who have been uh, putting the festival together um, over the last few years and everything have really done a great, great job of sort of getting the word out. It, it seems like it's almost like this renaissance where people are starting to find out more and more about about Whitehall as a Bigfoot. That's a Bigfoot hub, so I hope more people check it out and get up there and stuff because it's it's a it's a really uh, fascinating area. People think go to different other parts of the country looking for Bigfoot. It's like go to Whitehall. <laughs> they have, they apparently have sightings all the time. Right, and and you know I uh, when finding Bigfoot uh, for Animal Planet came here, you know we had we had Cliff and and Renee and and uh, Matt and uh, uh, you know uh, James uh, 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 Fay Bobo, and, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I think he did us a great favor because hey, he says we're going on the show there. He said we're going to the Northeast Willow Creek, and I thought that was a that's a tremendous uh, compliment he paid to us when he yeah, did that. Yeah, that's the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, we appreciated that very much. And you know, I think the the thing about the festival that was, I mean, it was a lot of fun, and it was all oh, was a positive. Blast. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Now, to I felt like I jumped off the train of a sort of conversation we were having about sort of the weirdness of Bigfoot. Now, do you think after 
after all these years, do you still sort of think like this can be that it's even possible for someone to, uh, you know, to, for 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 us to get a body? I'll just cut to the chase. You know, like for us to close this case once and for all. Because I mean. I get some heat for it a little bit because I'm like, look, you got if you we gotta have to shoot one. Like we're gonna have to <laughs> like take one down if we want this to advance. You know, uh, like you were saying, there's no other way to do it. But but I'm almost skeptical that like because you know I've talked to Lauren over the years and it's like, well, someday someone might hit it with a truck and it's like, how we just like it still hasn't happened. So it's right. very maddening and and like you, I was kind of surprised to hear you sort of. Lament that it, that that it's been so long because I do feel the same way that that how yeah. how has this not happened yet? So I mean, I guess what, what give, elucidate a little bit more, elaborate a little more on that sort of idea. And do you think that we could possibly ever get one of these things? I I don't know. That I think that's the the big question is is it possible to get one? Uh, is there something else going on here that we just don't perceive that we haven't that we've overlooked? That uh, you know we we've sort of been pigeonholed into these concepts. Uh, this is UFO over here. This is Bigfoot over here. This is you know this is uh, ghosts over here. And have we been pigeonholed there? And but what makes me hopeful is that when the UFO phenomena, when I first started studying that, <clears throat> um, we have come so far from when I started studying this in the 70s to where we are now. Uh, almost uh, 100, you know, 80 degrees, uh, because yeah. uh, this is uh, this is now a respectable topic by some. We're talking about the Pentagon studying it and so forth. So with the Bigfoot phenomena, I have to wonder if these elements of like the red eyes, the uh, uh, sometimes you have cases where they sort of disappear into a flash of light, the uh, sightings that are connected to UFOs and during a UFO flap simultaneously uh i have to wonder if this just isn't we aren't just looking at it differently and i kind of uh i guess i would uh give an awful lot of credence to researchers like uh jacques volet and how they approach this and you yeah. know there's a time to collect data and then there's a you know to and then there's a time to cut bait and then there's a time to collect more data and i think that's the way to do it is just let the data speak for itself. And yes, this is unusual from every other animal in that we don't have a body. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild. Um but you know, then you do hear the stories of like how it took them forever to prove the great ape was uh, out in China or like I think it was the panda or right. something crazy like that it was like something it took them forever to to prove it, and it's like, um, so, you know, there is hope that that it is simply a matter of us, uh, of the creature being smart enough to not get caught, as, as well, sort I, of like, strange as that sounds, I mean, yeah. uh, one would assume, right, like, you hear stories about people hitting a car, hitting a moose with their car, mm-hmm. and it like, it's like, folks, like, Google, like, a picture of that, like, it destroys the car, so... I mean, uh, presumably a Bigfoot is a pretty stout creature. So if the idea, like, oh, someone could hit it with a car. I get the feeling, like, if someone hit it with a car, 
it would somehow be able to just get get out of there, you know, <laughs> even with a broken yeah. leg. It would it would somehow get out of the area fast enough that and die somewhere where its kinfolk or whatever would would do something with its body because you know this theory is like oh maybe Bigfoot's like bury their dead and stuff like that. Who knows? Well, the, this is the the big contradiction. Uh, we don't have a body, and yet I am convinced by testimony like Dan Gordon's. Testimony like Cliff Sparks, and, and I'll give you another uh, uh, sighting here in a minute. It's uh, These are what I call confirmation sightings. I am thoroughly convinced that these people are 100% honest. They have had a clear, undeniable experience. In other words, it's not, you know, I've talked to people, they're kind of wishy-washy. I'm not sure what it was. I'm pretty sure it was a creature. No, no. These are the sightings that are life changers. And they, it's literally changed their lives. So I have no question at all that this is a real phenomena from that perspective. And I'll give you a classic example. It happened up in Clemens, uh, which is uh, just a little bit north of, uh, of Whitehall. And it happened in uh, 2004, in June. And we had two Hong Kong nationals. They used to work at the Chinese restaurant here in town. And they were up fishing. And they had an encounter, and I was I was talking with them. And in fact, uh, Matt Moneymaker had an extensive interview with them when they were in town here with uh, his uh, you know BFRO. And the one of them said, "Yeah, uh, we didn't know you had monkeys up here." Well, the beauty of that report is that in his you know own uh, culture, it wasn't unusual to have a monkey or a primate around. He just didn't know yeah. we had him up here. And so I said to him, I said, well, what happened is they went up fishing, and they saw this creature wading through the water at chest level, this monkey-like creature, flat-nosed, and uh, sort of wading through the water away from him. And I said, wow. I said, what would you do? And he says, well, we went fishing. In other words, <laughs> they were able to dismiss it as being all that unusual because they were used to primates, and yet they, right. they just said, well, we weren't sure it was up here. Those are great sightings because it's it's completely confirms that they had a real encounter with something that you know they just didn't think it was all that spectacular. It's yeah, I, I just I just love Bigfoot, man. I just find the whole I find I find it so I don't know, just so tantalizing to the possibility that there's this giant creature up there. But you know, it's the the. He was talking about the supernatural stuff and everything. It's like, you just don't know what the, the the thing could be like some kind of projection of our own minds or something, even possibly brought about by some other phenomenon. So it's like, you don't know. I guess what I was thinking of is like, <clears throat> hear me out now, folks. This is like one of those 3 a.m. stoned in, the, in your college dorm room ideas. <laughs> but like, you know, for all we know, there could be like some kind of rodent, right, that lives in the woods that emits some kind of sound that makes you think you're seeing a Bigfoot. And, and you know, who knows how that, <laughs> how that kind of thing is, is possible. So all this time we're looking around for the giant Bigfoot, it's really coming from some small thing uh, that lives in the forest. So like, that's how mysterious and bizarre and weird this creature really is, because there's a lot of possibilities as far as where this thing is coming from. Right. I, I, 
I couldn't agree more. It's uh, there seems to be an element here that is different from most physical animals. But that being said, if somebody said they had a bone tomorrow of one of these creatures, I'd be the first one there to have it tested. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, same thing with hair samples. You know, every get them, test them, do everything you have can. You ever, whether it's the Sykes Camp uh, or the the you know the the uh, 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 Ketchum Camp, whatever. Uh, let's get it analyzed. Let's get the evidence looked at uh, because I, I think the more data we collect, the better picture we're going to get all the time with these. I mean, look where we've come from. You know, from the fifties and sixties to where we are now much different than uh, yeah. we have a much broader perspective, and hopefully that will keep going. And that's with all the phenomena from uh, UFOs to Bigfoot to uh, uh, parapsychology. we got to spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the Internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Now, I'm, I'm sure you have entertained this idea because you've been looking at the subject for like 40 years, but... um. What are your thoughts on sort of the idea? Because I don't, I, I like this idea. Um, I, again, I find this, this this tantalizing. The idea that the Bigfoot that the Bigfoot isn't a creature that it's like a remnant, um, like different, like a like a split race of people, you know, like a race of people that are different from from humanity, like a tribe or something like that, like more human, more human than animal, I guess you would say. You understand what I'm saying? Like some kind of like like holdover of 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 hominids, people. Oh, no, I, I get you. Um, yeah, uh, you, you know what? I, I don't discount anything as far as this goes. Yeah. I just know the patterns that we've gotten and the information that we've gotten leads me to think there's something else going on here, and we're just yeah. not quite getting it. I think people, though, like, like Jacques Vallée, are on the cusp of understanding this uh, from a much broader perspective, and I think Heineck was on to this. I think he was on to this. Uh, of course, we lost him in the uh, was it the mid '80s. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I was able to see Dr. Heineck lecture one time. He talked, uh, and that was back in, in 1980 or so up in, in New Hampshire. And he talked openly about parallel realities back then. These are pretty heavy-duty concepts back in the, the '80s, and now they're much more accepted now with the uh, advent of you know of quantum physics and and particularly with, with what George has done with the, the Skinwalker Ranch and so forth. So I think we're, we're really heading in the right direction. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, this is fascinating. It's interesting. It's, uh, it's convoluted. And it's, uh, it, there's plenty of room for everybody's opinion, and I don't discount anything. Yeah. And you know what the cool part about all of it is, Paul, is that it's fun. I think that's kind of why sure we is. really do love all this stuff, right? It's it's just fun. It's fun to talk, it's fun to talk about. It's cool to it's cool to sort of ponder this. I thought about it that maybe maybe Bigfoot uh can somehow traverse dimensions. Like maybe it is a creature, but it can somehow just traverse into some other like you were saying, some other parallel reality and it can come and go as it pleases. Uh you know, and that's why we can't it seems so elusive and sort of ghost-like. So anything you know, possible if, with this thing. I really, I love, I love Bigfoot. If, if you took a, a piece of paper and made a list and put one as UFO, one as Bigfoot, one as psychic, you start to see the common denominators between all the different phenomena. 
Hmm. Right. Elusiveness, uh, it disappears, it appears when it wants to, it doesn't necessarily have a pattern. Uh, it creates a, lot of, a bunch of havoc, a bunch of excitement, then it's gone. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, the commonalities between the various phenomena and the fact that we had several cases that were very credible that had UFO elements as well, and you, there's also cases that, with poltergeist, same thing. Uh, so it just tends, uh, it, it makes me think that there's some sort of connectivity between the phenomena. But, you know, uh, you're absolutely right. This is a fun topic. It's interesting. It's factual. Oh, yeah. And it's as real as can be. It's a common human experience. And I wouldn't have done anything any different, uh, you know, if I could go back. Because uh, uh, because of this, I've met great people uh, like yourself. I, I would have oh, never uh, uh, met you. I, you know, uh, uh, people throughout the years. Uh, 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 you know, it, it's been wonderful. Bruce Hallenbeck down in Kinderhook, New York. They've had they've got a creature down there. Now you're talking about New York State being uh, so diverse. Uh, Ten miles south of Albany, which is you know a major city, our capital. Yeah. Uh, Ten miles south, you have Kinderhook, New York, which looks just like Whitehall, and they have a creature down oh, wow. there called the Kinderhook creature. And Bruce has oh, been wow. uh, tracking that for years, and uh, uh, his family has had several encounters of that creature. And so that's how we got to know Bruce and we co-authored book together. And so, yeah, it, I wouldn't have changed this for, for anything. It's great to meet Lauren, people like Lauren Coleman, and, and you know, I'm very fortunate to meet Dr. Hynek once. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I have no regrets with this. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. It's, been, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun ride to be on if you, if you have the chance to be on it, folks. So I, would, I highly recommend it. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting with the Bigfoot. Now, do you, have you ever had a personal experience with either Bigfoot or UFOs or anything or any sort of high strangeness? My, uh, my criteria for a sighting is a little different than, than some others. Some people I've, I've talked to, and they said, yeah, I saw something at a distance. I wasn't quite sure. It's a little wishy-washy and stuff. For me, uh, a you gotta factual know Bigfoot. encounter, <laughs> you know what you're seeing. You know there's something yeah. life-changing there. And no, I haven't had that. I may have been close uh, in a couple of incidents, which, you know, it just isn't enough. Uh, but no, I would say if you had to pin me down, no, I haven't. It's everyone's like, oh, I would do this way or that way. But like, what do you think you would? It's hard to even extrapolate on that because, yeah, it is all different sort of scenarios. But like, if you saw a Bigfoot, what would you what would you like the experience to be like? Like, how would you you know you would? I presume you'd want to be able to see it sort of without it knowing you were watching it, right? That's probably the best best po- I would, possible. Thing. I would hope. I, I would hope that I would have the – now, th- this is what – what I've interviewed many witnesses, and they I can t- give you some quotes. My mind just shut right off. If I was sitting on a, a, a stack of cameras, I wouldn't think to bring it up, you know, to grab a camera. Right, right. They are stunned. Uh, my brain got scrambled. They, these are the things that they come up with when they tell me. Uh, so I would hope I would have the wits to record, either with yeah. a phone, with a recorder, with something that would be tangible that could be studied later. Uh, I would definitely, let's say I had a, a actual encounter, no question about it, looking at me, life-changing moment. 
I would hope I'm able to record and then go right back to that area and document footprints, yeah. tracks, hair, uh, broken branches, paths, where did it go to, what direction, what temperature, what everything that we can about that sighting so that we would have a better perspective on what the entire phenomena is. Because whatever this is, you know, if I'm a skeptic and I'm going to say, hey, look, there's nothing to this. This is all just people wanting to have fun and whatever. I would first of all say that's completely wrong because people like Dan Gordon, it changed their lives. It, and yeah. several of the police officers, it changed their lives in a negative. But if I'm, a, if I'm that skeptic, I'm going to say, well, you know what? I'm going to tell that skeptic that if this is just a you know, uh, an experience that people are wanting to have and it's not real, and then it's important to study this as to why we're having this experience because it's a common human experience. It's a global right. human experience. And so why are we having these encounters? Why are the Chinese people seeing Che Ren? Why are they seeing Yetis in the Himalayas? Why are they seeing Almistis in the you know former Soviet Union? Uh, yeah, yeah. Why are they seeing these creatures everywhere? This is an important, legitimate field to study, regardless of what side you fall on. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. To me, it's like I can't even uh, – I find it hard to fathom a Bigfoot skeptic. It's just like if you don't believe in it, why you even bother even <laughs> – you know, or, or if you're – I mean – I, 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 part of me is like, look, it, I can't necessarily say 100% that I believe in Bigfoot until I see one, but it's like I'm pretty damn close. Like, I, I, I right. to, like the old poster is, like, I want to believe. Like, I really uh, hope that there, there's, there's something to this story, I, to this I've got creature. That poster hanging up, so by the way. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you but know, you're me, absolutely yeah, right. It's like, Skeptics, like, if you don't believe in it, just move on. I don't know. There's nothing you can really uh, – a lot of this stuff is anecdotal evidence yeah. aside from, like, footprints and stuff. And, and you know, it's – to me, it's like uh, skeptics of anecdotal stuff always kind of, like, rub me the wrong way. It's like just – you know, you're just arguing it's a he said, he said, he said situation here. Yeah, it, it becomes uh, – you know, I've got friends who are skeptics uh, – uh, We've had them at the house here. They're fine. Uh, you know, they're professional skeptics. Uh, my, my brother's written for the Skeptical Inquirer. Uh, but, you know, we know what's – there's a real phenomena at hand, and it's legitimate. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, what is going to finally be the evidence that's accepted. And until yeah. we have that body or something similar to that – now, maybe a body can't be attained. I don't know. But something – that is of that type of ilk that uh, we're just going to have to agree to disagree with these type of people. And, you know, I, I've got skeptics. I, I enjoy talking with them, and I run things by them. So, yeah, I, I think the other thing we have to be very careful of, in, and I've seen this happen with researchers, is don't let this become a religion. Don't let this oh, yeah, become for sure. a belief that you can't get your – You've got to stay objective, and it's very right. important you, you maintain that objectivity and a little bit of sense of humor doesn't hurt. But, uh, boy, when oh, it becomes absolutely. a religion, then that's worse than, than going the other way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's why I stopped short of be saying that I just, like, outright believe in Bigfoot. It's like, no, 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 I can't, I can't say that till I know for sure. But what, what I, what, the thought that crossed my mind now talking to you is perhaps 
And look, you're not going to convince everybody, like we said, unless you find a body. But, but short of that, perhaps the best evidence you could get might be uh, like a really clear dash cam video from a police cruiser. I feel like I feel like that would be kind of the akin to the. I know the, 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 my more cynical listeners will roll their eyes when they hear this comparison, but that would be sort of akin to the Tic Tac UFO video. It would it would come from an official source. You know, the the cop is not the cops are not. Presumably, of course, people will say, "Oh, they probably faked it or whatever." But I think more people would be like, "Okay, you know." These cops would get in a lot of trouble if they fake this thing. That's, so yep. it, it seems – and the video is fantastic. Like it would have to be a very good – which is possible in this day and age because of the technology and the high definition and the advanced cameras and stuff. And, you know, you've seen some of those police camera videos. They're they're pretty good. So uh, like a, a Bigfoot walking across the road, maybe not running, but sort of like ambling across the road. I think like a video like that from a police cruiser would be – Maybe the best possible evidence you can get short of a body. It, it is certainly going to be highly credible, and yeah. that's part of the thing. You know, with the the internet nowadays, you know, I, like I said, I was old school with newspaper clippings and stuff. So the, the entire way that things are reported now is different. So social media mm-hmm. has changed everything as long as that goes. So yeah. uh, when you have something, it's automatically critiqued, peer reviewed. Yeah, it's scrutinized. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I I would agree that, uh, you know, uh, uh, anything that the police would put forward would automatically have added credibility. And I think that's very important. In fact, I think that's why the Whitehall cases from 76 and 82 were so significant, because there was police involvement. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's kind of what made me think of it, yeah. That's what yeah. made me think of it, where it's like, oh, if only they had a, a dash cam back then, uh, you know, maybe it right. wouldn't be too great, but yeah. they would have caught it on the dash cam. So. Yeah, you're right. The technology has come full circle now where, where it's available. And, uh, you know, uh, so, yeah, absolutely right. And and perhaps we'll get something like that eventually. Um, right, certainly, right. I, I think the, the Patterson-Gimlin film is always going to be contested, but... I think that's a pretty interesting film. Uh, I think Bob Gimlin seems to be a fairly credible individual. Um, uh, I don't see that, uh, you know, it's never going to prove, it's never going to be the proof positive, but it's certainly a tantalizing addition to the, you know, to the uh, case for these creatures. But that being said, let's say tomorrow, and I don't believe this, but let's say tomorrow that they say that, okay, it was uh, a hoax. It doesn't change anything because the right. sightings are historic and they're already here. That's just an added piece of evidence. Right, right, right. That would just, uh, you know, that would that would be kind of a, that would be a huge bummer, but then, but we right. would move on. Um, right. I know that, like, they, they did... Uh, I forget his name, uh, the geneticist Brian Sykes. He did, like, he some, there was a story of a quote-unquote, like, wild, well, I think it was a woman, uh, like a wild woman, that they, that they like, kept a, a, a Xena or something like that. And, and But anyway, 
It was always sort of contentious. It was like way, way like 150 years ago or something like that. And it was like no one could really kind of know for sure. And it was very like the, our, people's worst suspicions came to pass where it turned out it was just a person that they had like taken from Africa or something and, and acted like it was a – it was some kind of exotic, uh, wild person. But for years, that was sort of one of those mysteries of 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 the of the field, where it was like, what, who was Zena, and where did they, where did she come from, and all that. And then he Jeanette did the genetic test. It was like, okay, this was a person, and people were terrible back then. Was the was the <laughs> was the answer to the mystery? And but but we moved on. That's the, that's kind of like. You know, we, you, you, okay, you throw it out of the you throw it out of the evidence pile, and you and you keep you keep going and looking for stuff. Right, absolutely, and and uh, like I said, you, you got to just maintain your objectivity, and uh, you know, let let the phenomena speak for itself because it's credible. There's no question about it. The you know, Dan Gordon was credible. These police officers were credible, uh, and, and I think you're right. Uh, down the line, we're inevitably going to have some dashboard. Video, you, you know, when that meteorite, uh, the bolide went over Russia and smashed all the windows in these these uh, <laughs> these large buildings uh, a few yeah. years ago. Uh, I'm thinking, boy, I'd like to see that. And then they're showing scores of videos of the meteorite. Yeah, as they it goes have tons over of dash. Yeah, yeah, tons of dash cams yeah. in Russia. Yeah. Yep. So we yeah. had all sorts of views of that that we wouldn't have had ten years ago. So. Yeah, I, I think it's optimistic, and now you have, of course, you have these uh, trail cam pictures as well. We had one taken in Vermont uh, years ago by a man named uh, Frank Szczynski, and there was absolutely no question about the sincerity. It's just a matter of what is on the trail cam picture, and it's been analyzed uh, by everybody, including Bruce Maccabee sort of gave it a thumbs up, said, uh, yeah, whatever it is, is it close to the, to the lens, so it's a fairly large object. But I don't know what it is, you know. Uh, but yeah. uh, as far as that goes, I mean, people that critiqued it said terrible thing. Oh, it's an owl close to the lens. It's a, you know, it's a moth. It's well, the you know, it just didn't appear to be that when it was actually analyzed. We just don't know what it is. And there's no question about Frank's sincerity. He didn't know what he had, and he just posted yeah. it. And so that's become one of those famous videos now. Or famous, I'm sorry, famous pictures now. So, yeah, I think trail cams, uh, all this is good technology to, to, you know, it's at our disp disposal, so let's use it. Absolutely. Now, uh, Zach Copley in the chat wants to know, uh, and I do too now that I've read his question, um, he says he's not sure about the temperament of the New York Bigfoot, but he's heard that the Pacific Northwest Bigfoot uh, seems to be more of a gentle giant that just wants to be left alone, but he's also heard some stories of Bigfoot attacks in places like East Texas. And I, I, I recall tales of aggressive Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. So there, are, there seem to be areas where the Bigfoot is, is sort of uh, aggressive. So you're just wondering, have you come across any reports of violent, aggressive Bigfoot uh, in the Whitehall area? In, in this region, by and large, uh, No. Uh, it doesn't mean that it can't scare the, you know, the Jesus out of somebody. Right, right. And, yeah. uh, you know, with with uh, vocalizations and a bluffing display that's been noted where people would say they, in fact, I can give you an example, three boys said they came across a creature. And they said that it was, it ran at them. And they, of course, took off out of the woods. And then when I was interviewing one of the boys, he said, you know, it could have had us any time it wanted us. 
So it was some sort of a yeah. bluffing display to get people out of there. Uh, so, yeah, we've had that type of thing. Uh, and, of course, the vocal itself may be a self-defense mechanism. Uh, you know, if you bring up a very loud noise in front of somebody, you can disorient them instantly. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. the, you know, uh, so yeah, that may be part of it. Uh, as far as something that's harmed anybody in this area, I don't know of any specific reports that are yeah. of a truly violent nature. I have heard of them. And if you go down to like Honey Island Swamp area, uh, you know, down Louisiana and stuff, you may get a more aggressive creature that appears yeah. more aggressive, but you've got a much more aggressive environment. Up here, it would sort of have its own uh, run of the woods, and it wouldn't really have very many uh, worries. You know, maybe a bear, that seems unlikely uh, that there would be a problem there, you know. Uh, but yeah. at any rate, uh, it would be pretty uh, peaceful up in this area, I would think. And uh, Dr. Cook thought that from the physical aspect of these creatures that it would be omnivorous. You know, there's plenty of food up here if they anybody's worried about that whether if they are physical then uh how would they eat there's plenty of food up here so uh that wouldn't be a problem i just don't know of any uh, uh violent encounters in this area other than when the creature is defending itself in fact the only violence that i've seen up here is how the abir road incident ended and that was on september 1st 1976 and mm -hmm. two hunters shot at the creature in fact, oh, wow. it was logged in our police book uh, in, the, in in town, and uh, they actually had it uh, in in the log book uh, of uh, of uh, what had happened. And these two gentlemen came into the Whitehall Police Station, and they said, "We just shot Bigfoot." And they uh, dispatched a uh, you know they contacted the New York State Police and dispatched them to the area, which was Carver's Falls Road. And that's mm -hmm. uh, an area that's an offshoot of Bear Road. And they said, I have the actual police log right here, and I'll read it verbatim. Okay. Uh, this is September 1st, 1976, reported 3 p.m. off, 11 p.m. W. Goslin, which is Wilfred Goslin, who was a police sergeant back then. And it does an initial report, which has nothing to do with this. And then it says, and it gives a name. I'm not going to say the name, but so-and-so uh, -so of Granville, which is a neighboring community, came and reported that at 11.10 p.m. he shot four 12-gauge rifle slugs and six to eight 22 rifle bullets at a huge creature that came at him at Sea Falls Road, which is Carver's Falls Road, notified NS Police, which is New York State Police. So that's mm -hmm. the official logbook from September 1st, 1976, Whitehall, New York. Wow. Pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and, and, you know, that's another case like what you had said with the teens. If I'm out hunting, particularly at night, I'm not going to run into the Whitehall Police Station. Yeah, I'm exactly. Stay away from exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I was. I was thinking that as you were telling the story because it's like, I know things were really, really different back in 1976. It's like, but nowadays, <laughs> yeah. you know, nowadays if you went down to the cops and said what happened, they'd probably like, 
I mean, they'd probably say, all right, get the hell out of here or else we're going to have to charge you with, like, this, that, and the other thing. Like, <laughs> you know, right. like you can't just go shooting off your guns in the middle of the night or whatever, uh, <laughs> even if it's hunting season. There's all kinds of rules and regulations and shit. So it's uh, – well, yeah, what, to the aggressiveness aspect of it, I think I think those cases are supremely rare – uh, you know, <laughs> setting aside the aggressive cases that we don't hear about because the Bigfoot was extremely aggressive and we had the, and the witnesses no more. But the ones where, where you know, people allegedly encounter aggressive Bigfoots, I mean, I only know of like maybe like two or three off the top of my head. So I think they're fairly few and far between, and that's why they're so particularly well-known. Like the story of the Big Ape Canyon, the the cabin and that, that's sort of like an iconic you know that's the that's the story of the uh, of aggressive bigfoots, right. if you will. And, and you know you can look at other creatures. For instance, the uh, I think bear in the, in New York State. I think there was only one case of a fatality, and I think it was Inlet, New York, and the bear had grabbed us uh, like an infant, and and it was killed. Uh, but you know it's extremely rare, even with a, a species that we know for sure and know a lot of information about. So I would think it'd be even less rare with something that's less populous or of a different, you know, different phenomena. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, when I was up there, it, it certainly, uh, <clears throat> it certainly didn't. It, 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 I, I became a believer in the possibility that this thing could live up in that in the woods. Like you really need to kind of see this area, folks. Like it is, it is so remote and like you were saying about the mood the mood of the area is very laconic which i I just loved i just loved that whole area it was very laid back and kind of easy going and very uh you know it it had almost a vermontian vibe uh because it was so close to the border and everything so um yeah yeah it's a it's a fantastic area and i could totally see it being bigfoot country i i was I was on the lookout. I'll put it. <laughs> I really, I really, really was driving down the highway. I'm like, I could be ready. I could be ready in case one of these things runs across the road. Well, um, that that, uh, that may be one of the most uh, common encounters up in this region. In fact, it was uh, a couple of weeks before the uh, the Bigfoot Festival back in I think it was 2018. We had uh, a gentleman at 10:10 10, 10 p.m. And this was uh, August 7th, was driving on Route 4 heading towards Vermont because someone had uh, uh, a vehicle problem and he was going to help him out. And he saw a creature step over the guardrail. And it was right on Route 4. And it was not far from where, I think it was 10 years earlier, another creature was seen standing beside the road. So, yeah, you never know when these sightings are going to happen. And, and that particular sighting of 10 years earlier was on September 1st. It was a, or September. It was a Labor Day, whatever that, that was back then. So it was in September. So these sightings are pretty interesting. Again, there we go with the August, September, October for this region. And so that road cross sighting is very common. So you may spend 10 weeks in the woods and not encounter anything, and then be driving home and see something cross the road. You just never know. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, well, like I said, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime experience for these people, uh, which I can imagine might prove to be kind of maddening. Um, 
you know, for some people. Like, I, I have a feeling like if I saw Bigfoot, I'd be thrilled. And then I, then over time, I think over time I might be kind of mad that I couldn't, um, that I, you know, I would want to see it again. It would become like my right. white whale or something like that. So in, in a way, I almost, I've never had a, an experience with a UFO or a Bigfoot or anything like that either. So, uh, yeah, and I, in a way, I'm kind of glad I haven't because maybe it would drive me crazy to try and get back to that point wherein I had that experience. Well, that, that's why if I ever do encounter anything, of course, I bring all this equipment with me anyways, but uh, if I did ever encounter anything, I would hope I would have the uh, wherewithal to record as much as possible because then you've got something you can go back and study later. You can study You know how... The study of the Patterson film is about as as uh, I don't know if there's any film in history, maybe the Zerfruder film uh, that's been studied more. It's just the most controversial anthropological film ever taken. Oh yeah, absolutely. They just did a recent thing uh, the other day about it that uh, that they did another sort of analysis and confirmed that it was real. But it's like it's like the Shroud of Turin. I go even that far. It's like they do these they do these elaborate analyses uh, uh, of the of, of the film to the point where it's like you don't know what to believe anymore. So, <laughs> but I I do yeah I I I tend to think that it's well you know yeah there's all these elements to that to the to the Patterson Gimlin movie where it's like. Uh, the human element of how they came about and ended up making it and sort of some of the circumstances, like I think like they mailed it back to California or Oregon or wherever, like, and it was like, you mailed that, like this, this precious, precious video, you mailed this back to, you didn't like just drive it by hand and deliver it. This sounds to me like that sounds incredible to me. And then it's like, but then there's also the element of the movie itself, which is, can be scrutinized a million times too. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, we look at things now from our perspective now, and it was a different time. It was just such a different time back then. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Well, I I had a fascinating conversation with Lauren, uh, like, uh, I think like in April or something like that, where we talked about, I had him sort of spell out. If you ever get the chance to talk to Lauren, ask him about this, because to me it was like such a, uh, well, you know, you were you were around on, so maybe you could you could kind of shed light on a similar experience because what I asked him was how different it was back then. Okay, let me rephrase. Let me start from the beginning of this question. Okay, okay. When because you got into this like in '73, you got into the Bigfoot in '76. When did you? Because everybody's seen the Patterson Gimlin film now. It's it's ubiquitous. It's all over the place. You can go on YouTube. You can watch. 80 different versions of it. Um, but for the people who are living in this era, which is everyone right now, um, to, to try and paint a picture of what it was like back then, when did you first hear of this movie, and when did you actually see it? Let me think. Uh, I'm not sure. I know it was released along with Cougar Country. And I remember seeing that Cougar Country video as well. And I can remember, because it was like American uh, Enterprise, I forget what the name was, International, something like that. Uh, I can remember uh, seeing clips of it. 
on various documentaries. And yeah. I'm trying to remember if it was the Smithsonian Institution. I can remember uh, 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 the uh, uh, Smithsonian Institution documentary uh, that was about an hour long, Monsters, Mysteries, uh, Myths, Monster, Mystery, Man, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it covered uh, Bigfoot, uh, the Yeti, and Loch Ness. And I can, it seems like I can remember it from that. I, I can remember, though, I can remember seeing it on the documentaries that uh, uh, Clark, you know, uh, had done. Uh, I think it was The Mysterious World, something like that. I remember seeing an interview with Bob Gimlin as they showed it. And I can remember yeah. uh, uh, Arthur Clark's comment because it was very interesting, and Bob Gimlin looked great in it. It looked very sincere. And uh, Arthur Clark's comment was something like, well, this looks very credible, but as we see with my, you know, with my movie 2001, you know, we can make ape men look pretty good. But uh, he also said, and I thought Arthur Clark summed up the scientific uh, uh, attitude perfectly. He goes, if I had $100 to bet, he said, I'd put 10 on Bigfoot, 40 on the Yeti, and I'd put 50 in my pocket. And I thought that was pretty much the scientific attitude back then. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, it seems like I remember that Smithsonian Institute special. Uh, I remember In Search Of showed a picture of it with uh, with uh, uh, a still with Grover Krantz, but it didn't actually show the film. But, yeah, I, I saw it in those documentaries pretty early on, I think. And I think, I want to say it had a connection to Cougar Country. Okay. But the I guess the sort of the... Uh, I think you'll agree with me on this. Like, you didn't get the chance. You saw it, but, like, you couldn't rewind, right? <laughs> you know That's what I'm right. saying? Like, you saw That's it right. the one time in the theater or whatever, and then that was it. Then you went home, and you were, like, trying to <laughs> trying to remember what you just saw. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a different time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I can remember piecing together different documentaries to look at different because uh, there were different um, exposures of it. Uh, it was a little lighter in this documentary. It, was, it looked a little, you know, it may have been the generation of the recording itself, uh, but I can remember putting a tape together of just different versions of it, looking at it over and over again. But, yeah, back then, no, it was a one-shot deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, uh, that was the that was this, the conversation I had uh, with Lauren about this, that, uh, that it is that, that back then, yeah, it wasn't as ubiquitous as people. People think now they can watch it whenever they want. Back then, it was like right. it was, it was this. Uh, I don't even know how you describe it. It was like this holy grail type situation. Um, and even back then, you know, they might show it on TV, like on In Search of or something. And it's like unless you had a VCR back then, which is. Not not everybody even had that kind of technology. Like when when it would have aired on In Search of, um, you know, you you wouldn't be able. You'd only see it the one time. It's really kind of a. It's kind of hard to even fathom in this day and age when anything anything that happens is captured immediately and and spread all over the place. That's right. At one time back then, I was researching the Patterson film and I went to every documentary that had a clip of it and put it together. So that I could get multiple views of it, and but it it yeah. was an excruciatingly <laughs> long and arduous process, 
and now you just would click on you know a Google search. <laughs> so I mean the technology is completely different. We we really earned it back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. People don't know how how lucky they have it right now. But you know, you mentioned Lauren. I I first met Lauren at the Info uh, in 1978, the International 14 organization. They had a seminar down at uh, Washington University, and we went down, uh, my brother and I and my parents, and that's the first time I saw a Lauren Coleman lecture. And back then he had two books out called The Unidentified and uh, Creatures of the Outer Edge. So we've got both those books here, and I know they've just reissued those, I believe. But, uh, yeah, Lauren has been just a – he's like the go-to person with all this. And back then there were other researchers there like uh, Bob Chance and so forth and uh, 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 Bob Ricard and all these legendary researchers. And we were in, – in what I remember most is everybody was talking about how great that book that John Green had just put out, Sasquatch, the Apes Among Us, was. And I still think to this day that's the best book out on the topic. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's it can be a bit frustrating because it's been a very long time. Like I got into this. I mean, you've been in this forty years. Like I sensed sort of a a, a little bit of air of sort of like frustration. I can understand that. I mean, I've been in this for like twenty years now, and it's like we really haven't moved the dial here on as far as like getting closer to getting the Bigfoot. You know what I mean? I feel like we have we still it's still so it's just maddeningly out of reach. Um, yeah. That that like I like I I just could feel I could empathize so much with you. You said we should have it by now. Yeah, yeah. We I, I do think if this was strictly a blood and uh, flesh and blood creature, we'd have a body by now. But I think there's something else going on here, and I think that this is all tied together with uh, the research being done by Skinwalker Ranch, the recent Pentagon uh, UFO study group. I think this is all tied together in a very convoluted, very complicated, very complex human experience uh, uh, phenomena. And, but, you know, uh, I, I just, uh, every day, there's something new, there's another revelation, there's another report, and it lends credit and credence to this phenomena and these various phenomena. So I think there's a lot of credibility to it. There's also a lot of baloney <laughs> that has to be sifted out. But uh, I think as long as we don't allow this to become a religion and we keep an open mind, I think we are progressing. And, uh, yeah, I, I think we're, we're, uh, we're moving in the right direction. Maybe the, the real answer will come 500 years from now. Maybe it will come 10 years from now. We just don't know. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's, uh, it's fun to follow and it's fun to – and, you know, the cool part is it's like I, I know for a fact – well, I, don't, I guess I don't know for a fact. Who knows what the future holds, right? But that uh, that that I that now that you and I are friends, that there's a good chance that I may out of the blue hear from you in you know six months or a year or in that period you said August, September, uh, October, and you might be like, hey, I got someone just called in a, a sighting. Like, how do you actually? How do you? Do, do people know to contact you? Is there a community of Bigfoot researchers up in Whitehall that like? Or are you like the, the Bigfoot guy that people know, like, all right, I saw a Bigfoot, i got to go talk to Paul Bartholomew and, and let him know what happened? There's a, a, a lot of researchers now. Back years ago, there weren't 
quite as many. Uh, now there's a lot of them. You'll see on social media there's different groups uh, all over the place. So, But social media has changed this entirely so that these sightings are more instant. And so, yeah, if anybody has a report, they can contact me anytime and we'll invest. Uh, we'll keep, uh, you know, the identity anonymous if that's what they prefer. We handle it the way they want to handle it. We're just interested in the data itself. And uh, yeah. like I said, what, what we found is this is just a continual chain of evidence. In other words, I, you may go two or three months without a sighting. And then that fourth month, you get sightings from those three months that you didn't get sightings. In other words, it felt oh, yeah, for so sure. consistent. And so yeah. you want to get the freshest sighting you can, but, you know, you take whatever information is, is available. And I would, uh, you know, uh, I would almost guarantee that uh, we'll talk at some point in the next couple of months about a sighting from this region. Yeah, that's the exciting part, and uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what what comes of it. Um, it, it you know. and, and like I said, uh, uh, anytime you get a chance, uh, open invitation to this area, and uh, I'll show you around the different sightings and the different uh, uh, places up here that they've had uh, creature encounters. Yeah, you said I have. You said, you've you've, invite, you've graciously invited me uh, multiple times. I, I was telling you before we started the show, it's. <laughs> It's difficult because I go up there. I have family up in Rutland now, Rutland, Vermont. So, and it, it's it, people. Are, it, it's always nice. Don't get me wrong. It's holiday season. It's always nice to spend time with family. All right, everyone. Everyone agrees. You know, happy holidays. But, but sometimes you can't escape the family, and that that's sort of the situation <laughs> I'm in when I'm up there in that area. So, uh, sometime sometime in the future, I'm going to have to plan sort of a window where I can come to Whitehall and we can sort of do the do the full Bigfoot uh, exploration and, and sort of investigation of these different areas and stuff. I was actually, I looked it up on my phone. I was in for Thanksgiving, and this might blow your mind because it's right next to Whitehall. I was in Pulteney, Vermont. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, so yep, that's, I was uh, in Pulteney. Right next door. Yep, and I actually drove to... Uh, to the excellent Pat, Patty's Patch, but they were closed. Patty's Patch uh, Farm Stand, which is like right, I think, on the outskirts of Whitehall. That's um, right. That's heading towards Fairhaven. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. You know what? It, it's a it's a small world, uh, Tim, because uh, I worked in Rutland for 20 years, and I, oh, wow. I work in Glens Falls now. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really small world <laughs> at times. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you know what I I, I should ask you about because we got we got about fifteen minutes left, and uh, I I haven't talked about this on the show, and you're a huge fan of this, so we should t- let's talk to people, let's tell people about this thing in Ticonderoga, the Star Trek Museum. Uh, when I was or when I went up to the to Port Henry for the Lake Champlain Monster Festival, I stayed in Ticonderoga and that's when I discovered that they had this museum which is which is devoted which is has all the original sets for Star Trek. And you go there quite often to see uh like all the big stars. Like Bill Shatner was there earlier this year and um George Takei was there and you you're you've been there many times. So I guess talk about talk about this amazing place because I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, but even I was like, this is just so it's just a combination of like really strange 
and surreal, and it's just so out of place in this little town of Ticonderoga. And I think they say they're calling things like you can go from the 1800s to the 2400s or whatever the <laughs> the, the year from Star Trek was. It's that that's the that's the that's the calling card of of Ticonderoga now. So it's, I guess talk about this this Star Trek museum that's up in Ticonderoga. Sure. Uh, uh, first thing is I have no connection to it other than I'm a fan. Of it, and right, it right, exactly. My, That's my why region. I wanted to ask you about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when just to just to clue folks in, because I posted, I went there and posted pictures of of it, and then and then uh, Laura knows you're a big fan. <laughs> must know you're a big yeah. fan because he tagged <laughs> you, and I I thought he I thought I thought you were the owner, and somehow you were somehow Lauren was trying to connect me, and then I, then I figured out what was going on. But but yeah, you're you're a big right. fan of this, but you're not you're not like affiliated with it anyway. No, no, I, I've just gone to the, you know, to, to meetings and things up there that they've had and the, the tours. And what it is is it was uh, this was a concept done by a Thai native named James Cauley. and James was actually a uh, uh, Elvis Presley um, tribute artist, and yeah. he's gone all over the world. He's world class uh, tribute artist, and he was a huge Star Trek fan. So he built this set, and what they would do uh, years ago is they would build, uh, they would make fan movies, and they're still online, several of them. I think they all are, actually. And then uh, he had this big set and, and this beautiful, all these recreations, and they were wondering what to do with it, and he contacted CBS, and they decided to make it a uh, the Star Trek set tour and make it an official CBS tour. So this is an official Star Trek set tour that is actual replication of the original sets because the original sets are all destroyed. And so these, this is a recreation done from the original Desilu blueprints that he did. So James mm-hmm. Cawley is the genius behind this. And he has put this thing together in Ticonderoga, which seems the most odd place to have this. Right, it's actually right. phenomenal. And yeah, he brings amazing. in uh, people like William Shatner and uh, and all the different stars, uh, uh, Nichelle Nichols, Walter Koenig, and they come up and they do a tour and they have photo ops and it's always a great fun time. And trekkies, uh, trekkers uh, from all over the world come to to, to see this place. And when you yeah. go on the set, as as you can attest, it's it almost brings the hairs on your arms up because it's. This is what it actually looked like. He is so detailed to the lighting oh, yeah. and, and everything that it's phenomenal. And so you actually have this huge uh, uh, setup there, and, and this, uh, it seems like it's you know, anachronistic. That's, it's out of place, but it, it's just wonderful. And so he's put this all together, and uh, they've had Shatner up there now six times. He's always been great. And of course, now that's the oldest person to reach space. And oh, yeah. uh, you, you've got, uh, uh, you know, he does like a stage show and he does photo ops. And, you know, you hear stories about him. He's been nothing but spectacular on every visit. And, yeah. the, you, know, you know, so they have certain things up there too, like the little artifacts from the show, like the original box that was in Kirk's Quarter is there. That's the real yeah. box. That was, they have the like original phasers, original triples cool. from the troubled triples episode. So this is like one of those weird things, and I'm like, you know, I would normally think that 
being a Star Trek fan, I would have to travel to Las Vegas or Los Angeles or New York City to yeah. go to a convention or something. This is, you know, half an hour away. <laughs> so yeah. this is it's like pretty crazy. perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it it's it almost defies description, folks. It's not unlike being in being in the Whitehall area and sort of in the mountains. But to be the guy who made who's behind all this, the uh the the, the museum, um what I what I recall from the tour was that he Certain things like he went, it's so meticulous that like the buttons on the computers on the set came from certain like military aircraft or whatever back when they built the set. And he like would track down other old versions of that military aircraft or tank or jeep or whatever and like procure the but the very same style of buttons. Like that's how down to the letter these sets are and they're and they're all to scale and it's just. It's a surreal experience. It really is. It's quite. It's quite something. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not even a big Star Trek fan. But it's like you're you're immersed in this. You're you're on. You're in Star Trek. It's crazy. It's really wild. And and to add to it now, the they have bought the building next door, so it's right there, and they have started the uh, creation of the Star Trek: The Next Generation sets, and they were given yeah. a, a partial bridge set and so forth. So they're going to have both the original set and the next generation set as well. So this is just a phenomenal thing for anybody who's a sci-fi fan. And, you know, the the great thing is you'll see when you go through it, you'll see, wow, that's an original script. That's what a script looked like, and it's right there. That's what those old cameras looked like. They have a a camera that they verified that uh, shots uh, that it was used to film Mission Impossible some of those episodes. And, of course, Mission Impossible was also a Desilu production, just like, uh, you know, because Lucille Ball was the emphasis behind Star Trek. She was the the one who uh, payrolled it. So, yeah, uh, yeah Desilu Studios, uh, there's the connection, and, and it's just, uh, yeah, if anybody <laughs> if anybody's a Star Trek fan, they, they may be brought to tears when they go up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's astounding. It's astounding. And, uh, it's very very cool. I highly recommend it. And and people, this is actually it's ironic because that, this is a perfect segue to the festival. Uh, because while we were at the festival that weekend was also the convention at the Star Trek Museum. So it's uh, hopefully they if they don't double book next year, I would highly recommend people, uh, you know, make the trip up to Whitehall next summer for this Bigfoot Calling Festival. Uh, and you can go and check out the amazing Star Trek. I mean, it's really, that would be like a, it's an, that would be an incredible weekend. Because I did it over the course of two weekends um, this summer. But but anyone who's sort of making, if you've only got time to make one trip, you could do it both in one shot and have an amazing time. Now, this festival, I cannot put this over enough. And anyone who's in the New England area, Seriously, if you're thinking about what you might want to do next year, uh, I know it's difficult with the pandemic and everything else, and 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 September's a long ways away. But trust me, you're gonna want to check this out. This is th- I had so much fun at the White House at the Whitehall Sasquatch Calling Festival. It uh, it's hard to even describe. Uh, there was like 
2,000 people there, I would say, at least 2,000, maybe like 3,000 people. So immediately when you're thinking of like, oh, it's a – it was unlike any sort of Bigfoot-type convention. Um, There were speakers, and they they had an area for their presentations and stuff, but all around them was this – literally like this festival atmosphere, and people were having a grand old time. Uh, There were beer trucks, which everybody knows I love, and and, and carnival food and vendors – and it, and it was just, it was it was almost like a circus-like atmosphere in a good way. Uh, there was a guy. I don't know if you saw some of these people because you you were God bless you. I I could never be the meet and greet guy. I could never sit at the table at the table for very long. Um, but there was there was a guy like in a steampunk outfit walking around. He was saying he was a Bigfoot hunter. And uh, there was a guy with a Muppet. That like I posted some of the pictures on the Coast to Coast website. A guy with like a Muppet, folks, a Bigfoot Muppet that he had on his hand. Like, well, it was just, it was an amazing, <laughs> amazing time. Barbara, what's her last name? Barbara Spoor. Uh, uh, Barbara Spoor, yep. Yeah, yeah she, she kudos did a, to her. A fantastic she, job. Oh my God, she she was she was working so hard. You could tell she was like running around all <laughs> over the place o- overseeing this thing. And I'm telling you folks like two to 3000 people. It was, and it was, I, I, I still, I was actually, I, I, I was up in Rutland and for Thanksgiving, like I said, and, uh, I had been up there before when I was going to the festival. They asked me, well, how was that thing you went to? And they, you know, they gave me sort of the, the side eye. Oh, you're going to do this Bigfoot thing. And I just described what to them what I just told the listeners, and I was like, "You really, you guys, you know, you, you very snobbily really missed out on an awesome time. It was, it was great. It was, it was a fantastic, fantastic. And I think you can agree, the weather that day was a godsend. That was probably that was just the perfect weather. It was like seventy-five degrees, no breeze. It was, it was just, it was heaven sent. It really was." Yeah, we we lucked out because this has been one rainy. This was one rainy summer this year, and we just lucked out with the weather completely. It was, it was tremendous. Now there's going to obviously be another one next year, right? Yep, it's uh, um, they're going to hold it every year, as far as I know. Uh, on the last Saturday of uh, September, that's the target site now they may change it at some point but that seems to be the target site for the last three or four of them yeah all right well i will we you and i will both keep folks informed about this because they definitely want to they definitely want to check it out i i highly recommend it and uh it's a it's a celebration of bigfoot it's a community celebration and it's just uh it's just a really good time it really is it's a lot a lot of fun and uh yeah, it was it was amazing. It really was amazing. I think it, it, I, we we were talking at one point about leaving and going to Patty's Patch and then coming back, and then it was like we had such a good time. We looked at the clock and we were like, "Oh my God, it's time for the big." We, we've been here all day. This is this is uh, how much fun we've had at this event. So, and I know well, you. Couple, I, I got. Oh, I'm sorry. A, a couple of years ago, ESPN came up and covered it as well, and yeah, covered it because they were doing different stories on. Uh, unusual contests and so they were there for and that got us a a little bit of publicity as well so and then they i think it was the year just before the pandemic uh so it would have been uh 2019 uh we had i think it was 3500 people 
So for Whitehall, this these have been really big boosts, and you know it's free. There's there's no uh, cover charge. You can come and you know oh, yeah, do whatever you want and have a good time. Yeah, I didn't even mention that part, but yeah, it's absolutely free. You just walk right in, folks, and you know, I. I never realized how much I like vendors until I went to these events, the the Lake Champlain event, and then the Whitehall one was like like five times the size. The vendor area was just like hundreds of vendors. It was like, oh my god, there's all this artwork and 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 and, and like not just Bigfoot merch, but like all kinds of stuff. People, artisans and craftspeople, like, because they know there's going to be three thousand people there, so they're bringing out their best stuff, and it was it was really really awesome. I I spent a lot of money there on <laughs> on all kinds <laughs> of cool things that that people had made, so it was uh, it was a great time. So you well, got some books. You made it up. Oh, I'll be back next year, Paul. I swear. I, we were already talking about it. We were already saying, you know, well, we're going to be back. We we have to go back to this event because this this was awesome. So we'll I will see you in Whitehall at, in the last weekend of September, barring some asteroid strike or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, right? Who knows what 2022 is going to bring? Um, so. Now, she's going to cut us out. I don't know if you can hear the little British lady. She's going to count down the end of the show. So the, We're still on the air. We're, well, we're still taping. We're not uh, We're not live anymore. So let me just sort of okay. – well, they're already gone now, so I'll thank them all afterwards. Let, let's just plug your books. Now, I was surprised you don't have – when I was putting together the uh, – you know, when I was putting together sort of my notes and everything, I, I, I saw that you don't have any – you don't have a website, so, yeah, we're we're working on that now. Um, we're okay. we're gonna hopefully get one by the by the you know the start of next year. All right. So is is there a place where you can you want to direct people to what Facebook? They can look you up on Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I'm right on Facebook, readily uh, available, and uh, I'm at uh, bfyeti1 at yahoo dot com. All right. Yeah, you're old school. You're like you're not trolling around on Twitter or anything like that. So you're. <laughs> <laughs> what we do is we um, post videos every now and then on on right on Facebook and uh, uh, do updates on sightings and uh, you know like we did the anniversary of the uh, uh, Glen Lake UFO landing case recently. So. Yeah, I got to put over the uh, your videos on the Facebook. They're they're awesome. They're like, uh, so yeah, definitely you should definitely get a website going. I don't know if you have. I'm as technically uh, ludicic as you are, so I, I, I you know, you should, but you should yeah. find somebody to put those videos on YouTube because they're great. They're very informative, and you're a great presenter and everything. And I was, I sort of went down the rabbit hole as I was getting ready to do the show, watching the different videos that you made. So uh, they're they're high quality. So yeah, folks, find uh, find Paul on on Facebook. And uh, keep an eye out. He'll have a website uh, soon soon enough. So, well, Paul, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, man. I, I, I loved this conversation. Like I said, when I met you uh, in Port Henry, I'm like, this guy is the man, and I want to talk to him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I want to talk to him all afternoon, but people people also want to talk to him, so I'm going to get out of the way. So I'm really glad uh, that was one of the moments where I'm like, well, if only, if only I had a podcast. So thankfully I do. And and uh, I got the chance to talk to you tonight, and I really, really, really enjoyed the conversation. What I like about you, Paul, is that you're you, 
Well, first of all, you're fastidious. You're very, you know, you're very uh, detail-oriented, and you're right there in the heart of things, and you're really digging into the very, right at the very root of these stories. But you're also surprisingly skeptical about this, or at least sort of very realistic uh, about the present state of affairs, if you will, when it comes to what we know about this creature and what we can prove and and where we're at in the quest to uh, find Bigfoot. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doubly impressed with you, man, after talking to you for two hours. Well, thanks. I appreciate it very much. And uh, uh, likewise, a great uh, fan of, of your work and listen to you on coast all the time. And, uh, yeah, uh, uh, great to have met you here. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Have a great uh, holiday season. And uh, I hope I hear from you soon with a Bigfoot uh, case in Whitehall, because uh, I'm dying. I, now that I have the inside track, I'm dying to hear, um, you know, what, what, what's going to pop up next around there. Uh, I'll definitely keep you updated. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Have a great night and have a great holiday season. Okay. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks. There you go. That was Paul Bartholomew. Uh, I meant what I said. I'm really kind of blown away, because... Uh, he, he had a real um, wise perspective about where we're at on this, and, and um, you know that was really refreshing because it is it is very frustrating that we haven't got our hands on the Bigfoot, um, and, and so yeah, and, and the possibility that it is, it is some kind of like that there as Paul kept saying that there's something that we. He put it into words better than I think I could. He, 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 it, there's something that we can't put our finger on here. There's some, there's some missing piece to this puzzle because it should be so easy. Um, so, yeah, look him up on Facebook. Follow his stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, become a Paul Bartholomew fan. You're not going to regret it, folks. And if you get the chance, uh, get yourself set up and come on up to uh, Whitehall for the Bigfoot calling contest. Uh, next September. So, yeah, that's about it. Uh, where are we at now? Next week's show. All right, so on next week's show, like a special kind of episode for you. It, it's it. I can't tell you for sure if it's going to be special or not, but I'm, I'm trying to make it special. But uh, we're going to be on next Tuesday night at uh, 9 p.m., and we're going to have, uh, well, traditionally – as you all know, that would have been the week for the Christmas spe- or the holiday special with Stan Friedman. So, of course, that's not happening um, this year. Stan passed in 2019, and we had the 15th and final uh, holiday special that December with Paul Kimball and Aaron Gillia, sort of a, a tribute to Stan. And then last year, well, the holiday season 2020, nobody – that was just such a huge bummer that we we didn't even – indicative of – what the year was, we didn't even do a holiday show. So I guess that would be the first time in 15 years we didn't do uh, a holiday show, which is pretty crazy. But we're back next week with, uh, I guess, a new vision of the holiday special. And it's uh, it's a Christmas party. I'm not going to mince words. It's going to be a Christmas party. It's going to be the Banal of America Christmas party. Uh we're going to take the take the mood from sad to to celebratory and sort of uh easy going and and fun and 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 ribaldry if you will. I don't even know if that works in the sentence, but you know what I'm saying. And and <laughs> uh 
And so with all that in mind, alongside me as our guest uh, for the evening will be actor, comedian Steve Berg, and, and longtime Banal of America fan Steve Berg. Um, you may know him from Drunk History uh, or the film Tag. <coughs> oh, I'm going to have to edit that out. Uh, or the film Tag. And a whole bunch of other stuff. He 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 cameos on uh, Goldberg's. He pops up in a lot of stuff as I'm watching TV. He was in some commercial. I forget which one it was, but he was in like some commercial that was on all the time, like a direct TV commercial or something like that. It was like any time I watched the NFL, Steve Berg popped up. He was on the NFL pregame show too uh, a couple years ago. So he's he's prolific. You see him a lot, and he is a diehard. Paranormal buff. We talked about it today. He and I spoke on the phone as I was setting up next week's Christmas party. And, uh, you know, he, he loves this stuff. He absolutely loves it. And he's been doing a little. He moved back to Nebraska uh, during the pandemic. So he did a little local sort of looking into stuff. And, uh, of course, he's got opinions on the latest happenings in UFO world. Sure, he has thoughts on what's going on in the entertainment industry during this pandemic. Uh, I think he was the MC for a UFO conference uh, a few weeks ago, so he's he's uh, he's knee deep in UFO stuff. He's a he he can he he can hang he can hang with us. <laughs> he can hang uh, you know flying saucer for flying saucer with uh, with any uh, BOA guest. He he knows what he's talking about. So uh, and he's hilarious. Uh, so he's going to be on the show. We're going to have a Banal of America Christmas party. And uh, depending on how lazy I am, I may reach out to other folks, uh, other Banal of America friends, and say, and just sort of float them the number and be like, hey, call in if you want uh, and, you know, and, and come hang out with me and Steve. So uh, that, uh, 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 it's one of those things where it's like in my mind, uh, that's what I would like to see happen in execution I'm probably just going to get lazy and and maybe contact like two people. So so let's hope I can get to the happy medium between those two scenarios and 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 we can have a rocking Christmas party. And if it's just me and Steve, it's still going to be an awesome Christmas party because last time we did a show it was uh it was insane. It was a barrel of laughs um and 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 really a lot of fun. So yeah, I guess that's it. And uh so with all that said, until uh, until next week, this is Tim and all thanking you for listening. Thanks to Zach Copley uh, in the chat room. He provided an awesome question and kept me abreast of how the show sounded. Um, yeah, so thanks to Zach and thanks to all the folks who listened live. And, of course, uh, thanks to all the folks listening right now here on the MP3. And uh, with all that said, this is Tim and all signing off. Until next week for the Banal of America Christmas Party.